Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here again tonight. We are in Mark chapter 1, looking at the prologue. And now one of the things as we look at this, and I'll read through it in the NIV, then we've got the English Standard Version on the notes, uh, is where is, what is the prologue, how long is it, and how does it break down? And the options are verses 1 through 8 would probably, what I would say that I'm teaching tonight is the prologue, but it could continue down into the end of verse 13 where it talks about after Jesus' baptism and the temptation. And then beginning in verse 14 and 15, uh, it kind of identifies uh, the time where Jesus leaves the wilderness and goes to Galilee. So uh, one of the themes of these verses tonight, this prologue, is going to be the wilderness. And I'll show you how that plays in. In fact, I can tell you right now, the wilderness, because in verse 14, Jesus leaves the wilderness and goes into Galilee. And then as you know, as our introduction to the book of Mark, Jesus' ministry is broken down into uh, three parts. Uh, or the book of Mark is the ministry in Galilee, the first eight chapters, uh, Mount Hermon or uh, Caesarea Philippi for the transfiguration. And then he goes to Jerusalem for the last week of his ministry. And so you've got John or Mark beginning in the wilderness here, and again, that's going to be key, he, Jesus leaves and goes into Galilee, and there's the eight chapters, kind of identifies what Jesus is doing and collects all that information. And then at the halfway point, in the book at least, uh, it's the last month of Jesus' ministry, the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then who do you think I am? And then he leaves there and he explains the Messiah must be crucified in Jerusalem. At the beginning, it's going to talk about, it's going to say he's the Son of God. Uh, during this ministry, he's going to demonstrate he's the Son of God. At the transfiguration, he's going to be, I, you know, he's going to confirm after Peter answers that he is the Son of God. And at the cross in Jerusalem, a Roman soldier, again, remember, a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion is going to say, surely this was the Son of God. And so this whole thing is going to be, again, written for the Romans. And we're going to even see a very important thing tonight uh, that kind of confirms the identity of this book being addressed to the Romans and should show them uh, the good news or the gospel. And we'll talk about what gospel means of Jesus Christ. The wilderness here is the Israel began in the wilderness with uh, the 40 years of the, after the Exodus. And, the pro, and then they entered the land. While they're in the land, the prophets, you know, Hosea, uh, uh, Micah, uh, Isaiah, would tell them they needed to go back to the way they were, how God was disappointed in what they had become in the land, that while they were in the wilderness, they were obedient. They were true sons of God in the wilderness. And now that they are in the land... They had failed, and that's why they ended up in Babylonian captivity. Northern Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians. And then they made their comeback uh, when, after the exile. They came back, and that's where we're at on Tuesday nights. With, we'll just say the days of Ezra, but that includes Nehemiah, Malachi, uh, Zechariah. Uh, and during this time, they are now preparing for actually what's taking place right now. John the Baptist is going to show up in fulfillment of prophecy. And these, this, throughout this, these, these introductory verses of the prologue, it's going to keep going back to the wilderness. 
It's as if, Isaiah says, a voice in the wilderness. And the people are going to leave, as you're going to read here, they're going to leave all of Judea, they're going to leave Jerusalem, and they're going to go out to the wilderness and meet John the Baptist. And that's where he's going to preach them or baptize them for the remission of sins or repentance of sins. It's almost like they're being called back into the wilderness at the very place they crossed into the land. I'll show you some pictures. I've I've been there a couple times. And they're going to cross back into the land of Israel a second time. But this time, they're being promised there's one coming after John. John says, after me, one is coming. I'll baptize you with water but he'll baptize you with the Spirit. The idea is, the first time they came in to the land, and this lines up with many things, they came in with uh, the direction, they came in with the law of Moses, and they, they failed miserably, time after time, generation after generation, until finally God disciplined them in Babylon, brought them back, and says, we're going to start this again. But there was a promise that, they were going to go back to the wilderness again, hear the voice, and at that time, they would then meet the Lord. Get ready for the Lord is coming, and now they're going to enter the land. Now, we know they entered the land the first time with the Lord. They crossed the Jordan River. The Jordan River stopped. They crossed. They went to Jericho, marched around the walls. It fell down, and they conquered the land in five years. That's the book of Joshua. The thing was, the Lord was with them. The Lord led them. He went, his angel went before them. What had not happened was they had not changed. They were still in the sin nature. They were still mere men. They had not gone through the transformation. John the Baptist, so they were destined to fail. They had the law, do these things. But like Galatians says, anyone who obeys the law is cursed because you're going to try to meet the standard. And the covenant says, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you don't do these things, you're cursed. Okay, well, let's do these things. Well, you can't. You're going to fail. You're going to end up cursed every time, which was the Israel's history. Now the voice is going to call them back to the wilderness. Let's try this again. They're going to be baptized for repentance of the sins that they've committed with the promise that someone is coming that's going to baptize them with the Spirit. There's going to now be a transformation. You're not going to be just born and and living in sin you're going to be transformed into the life of god you're going to be as jesus says in in john chapter 3 born again and that transference now they're getting ready to enter the land a second time and that's kind of what's taking place here so this wilderness uh is is speaking very strongly it's it's connecting prophecy with john's ministry it's connecting the people with their past in fact, if you don't mind, let's do it right now. We'll just look at some pictures here so we get a kind of a perspective of where this is taking place. Uh, on page 5, uh, there's, there's a map. And I do wish we had these that we could flash up, and I could if, if we take time to do it. We could flash them up on the screen. Uh, but the notes are online on generationword.com. Just click underneath the live feed there, and the notes are there with these pictures. Uh, here's Galilee, Jordan. There's the Dead Sea. Jerusalem would be right about here, Mediterranean Sea. And that's kind of that first map. It's got uh, the map of some of the things that take place early in Jesus' ministry. The second map is going to have all the locations of Israel at that time. But this first map at the top is kind of uh, shows you the details of of it combines all the Gospels. It's from my framework book. But where we're at right here, this is Jericho right here. So keep an eye right there, Jericho. 
which has nothing to do with our story tonight, except it's a location. The people crossed the river in, uh, in Joshua's day, right about here. Uh, the city of Qumran, or the community of Qumran is right here. Uh, you can see the Dead Sea from here. In fact, I'll show you the pictures. That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, at Qumran. And John's baptism is taking place in this general area, right here by the Jordan River, outside. Once you go leave Jerusalem and go to the east, like if we're looking at this picture right here, that we're looking on the Mount of Olives looking west, if we were to turn around from the Mount of Olives and turn and start walking this way, it's basically you're going to walk a ways, go down the back of the Mount of Olives, and you're in the wilderness. And it's going to be wilderness from here all the way over to the Dead Sea. This is the wilderness here. And it goes down, there's wilderness down here, desert. Jericho uh, is in the book of Judges, for example. It's called the City of Palms It's it, because there's an oasis there. There's a natural spring of water, and I foolishly, although it didn't hurt me, I actually drank right out of the ground there at the natural spring of water that came out of the ground. I thought, you know, you, how many times you get to be in Jericho, the oldest city in the world, and just drink right out of the fountain coming out of the ground? And I did, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Nothing. I, well, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm okay. It's <laughs> okay, right? That's not real good evidence. Uh, but there's, there's palm trees around there. There have been for thousands of years. I mean, you could go back to, you know, 1400 B.C. There were palm trees there and before. And that's that picture that you're looking at right there between the maps. And you can see where it says Bethany on point two on the map. And then straight across to the left, they're going to the west, is Jericho. Um, the picture right here, I'm standing in Jericho on the tell of the ancient city of Jericho. It's, it, there's remains there. And I'm looking east. I'm looking this way. So I'm looking towards the, the Jordan River. And you can't see in the picture real clearly, but, and I'll show you another one. But you can see across and even see the mountains of Jordan in the distant background, or the mountains of uh, a, a, the Ammonites. Uh, okay, so that's Jericho. But notice how beautiful it is there it's a black and white picture but that's all green it's amazing because you you drive through wilderness 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 going down 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 into the rift valley where the jordan runs lowest place on earth right here and as you get right here all of a sudden it's just blossoming with green trees and then it goes and it's wilderness all the way around uh, that has nothing to do with our story tonight except we're going to the wilderness and i can show you where jericho is right there so you get a perspective now turn the page and now, this top picture, you can kind of get a feel for it. We've left Jerusalem, and we're like right in here in this area heading this way. We're heading this way, and you can see the Judean wilderness and what it looks like. That's the, you're just driving miles and miles downhill through that wilderness. And then you got a little dot right there. It says Jericho. See a little white dot? That's Jericho. And you can see a little bit of you know, the darkness there. That's the trees. And then I've got another dot in the background behind Jericho saying Jordan River. And then I've got another dot behind that, the country of Jordan today. And so right there where that dot of the Jordan River is, that's right about here. That's where John went baptizing. Now, I mean, we're talking the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's not like he's not got a mega church. I mean, it's not like, you know, he got prime real estate. He's out. You have to go miles downhill through the Judean wilderness past jericho and go out into the water and hear a man tell you to repent 
and then be baptized because something great is going to happen. It's, it's a supernatural uh, moment for this to even happen, even to work. Uh, if you take that picture right here, and I like right here is where I've got that little dot, and you go further down here to Qumran, that next picture is I'm standing in Qumran right there, looking this way again, looking to the east, and now I've got it identified. You can see Qumran, that's where all the Dead Sea Scrolls are found in caves near there. This is where uh, uh, they would have, they would do a lot of the writing and there would be meetings taking place there or gatherings if it was a pilgrimage or if it was an actual community that lived there. There's a lot of research being conducted and, and ideas coming out about that, what Qumran was. It was not a, a, a family-friendly uh, city. It was a place of serious religious activity. The latest one is the idea that it was a place of pilgrimage. People would go out there, spend time. Maybe there'd be a core group that would live there, and then they'd go back. It was after the Jews, uh, the faithful Jews, had given up on the temple and, and the religious system of Jerusalem. They went out there and just abandoned the system because they knew it was all falling apart. And then when the Romans came in and destroyed Judea and Jerusalem, they apparently hid all their scrolls in the caves, maybe intending to come back later to get them. In 1947-48, they were, they were discovered. Now, again, you can see the Dead Sea. I've got, got an arrow pointing to the Dead Sea right there. So you can stand in Qumran and look right down at the Dead Sea, and you can look across into the Jordan, across, across the Dead Sea, and see the land of Jordan and the hills of Moab there in the background. Now, right here where Qumran asks, if I can stand right here, you can stand right there, and look right up here and see the little Jordan River. It's, it's not a glorious river. It's, you know, depending on the time of the year, but it's just, just a muddy river running down through here. Uh, that's where John was baptized. You can stand right there and see where John was baptizing, which asks some questions. Was John a member of the Qumran community? Did he break away from it? Not break away, but was he somehow, and that's not, some say absolutely not. Uh, but it was a pair. Was this an, uh, the Essenes that occupied this? Was John a member? There's a lot of rituals, a lot of uh, baptism, a lot of washings going on. In fact, there's a lot of mikvahs there where you can see steps going down where they would have a lot of ritual washings. So baptism was part of the Jewish culture. Uh, they call it ritual washings, uh, baptism. Baptism simply means to be dipped, to be immersed in water. So John the Baptist. It sounds like a, a denomination, a Protestant denomination. What it really means is Don the Dipper. I mean, he would take you out there and dip you in the water. That's baptismo is the Greek word for baptism, and it means to submerge, you know, to immerse in water. Like you could, if you dyed clothes, you would baptismo them. You'd have your dye in some kind of liquid, and you'd duck the clothes or dunk the clothes in the water. You'd baptismo, that's the Greek word, or you'd immerse immer them, and then you take them out. A ship, if it sank, it was baptismo. It did boom, 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 boom. It baptismo. It, it was dipped in the water. So John is the dunker, the sinker, the the baptismo. He's the one who immersed them in water, which kind of wipes out the whole discussion. What about sprinkling? What about you know uh, uh, what all the other forms of baptism? We're on a whole theological list now. Uh, pouring, dipping. Uh, spitting, I don't know. But uh, the word means to be fully immersed. Now, I got into a group one time. I was pastoring a church, the Brethren Group, and they practiced triune immersion where you had to be dunked three times. 
uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's all kinds of, once you start practicing this, the theology takes you down a whole different direction. But basically, John was dunking them in water. Now, was it face first or backwards? That's another whole conversation because you, you were you raised with Christ or you were died with Christ. I mean, there's whole, you know, you can go down. And again, that's a huge deal for a lot of people. But nonetheless, what we start with here was John was dipping them in water. And I don't think he was taking them out to the Jordan River and sprinkling them. And that's not even a theological statement. That's just, you know, what was going on. So that's where this is all taking place uh, right there. Does that kind of give you a perspective of where they're at? It's not a glorious place at all. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And the, the, these verses are exploding. The thing about this prologue, and I've got it written on the notes, I'll come back and read it to you, is it's, it's, it's fast, it's abrupt, and it's, it's silent on so many things. You're not going to hear the genealogy of Jesus. You're not going to hear the birth of Jesus. You're not going to hear the, the angels announcing to Mary. You're not going to hear about Joseph taking Jesus down into Egypt. You're not going to hear about Jesus' childhood. You've just all of a sudden got the voice in the wilderness and Jesus showing up in the wilderness, being tempted in the wilderness, and then leaving the wilderness with the power of the Spirit and going up and beginning his ministry in Galilee. It's like there's a whole lot of things missing here. And it's not that, it, again, Mark, a lot of people like throughout church history up until the 1800s, Mark was kind of dismissed as, like I said, an abbreviation, just kind of like a short, quick gospel. Mark is writing, and he's got a point. His point is to write in Rome, to encourage the believers in Rome, and he's writing to Romans. Uh, that's, that's where Peter was executed, and that's where Mark began to write or finished his writing. Here it is. Chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region or the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the jordan river john wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey because there's nothing else out there to eat not because that's like uh you know the the dietary practice like okay what are you going to eat out here i'll just eat whatever i can find because he's in the wilderness and this was his message his message to them was when they, when they baptized and they repented of their sins, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Uh, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Meaning there's going to be, a, you're going to be, I'll immerse you in water. He will immerse you in the Holy Spirit, which was a radical thing because the Spirit would come on kings or prophets or the priests, but for just the general community to be immersed with the Holy Spirit was, was like a huge radical transformation. It's like you were taking you from this point of being just a common to being someone who was anointed by God, and it was everyone, which means something's going to happen. This is a turning point, which kind of leads us to some of these words uh, 
that are in here. I got a lot of things to say, but let's go ahead and go chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. First of all, the phrase, the beginning, and uh, that's, that's something we'll talk about. But then we're going to come back and says, uh, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ and then Son of God. Now, some, some manuscripts don't have Son of God in here, and so there's a discussion of when that came in. And it's pretty solid that this, when you get all done looking at all the ancient manuscripts, this was part of the statement. But even if it's not, like I said before, Son of God is kind of the theme. When Jesus baptized, a voice from heaven says, this is my Son. He goes into Galilee, demonstrates that he's the Son. Peter says he's the Son. Jesus accepts it. The Roman key, again, the Roman at the cross, the centurion, ends the book by saying, surely this was the Son of God. And this whole message is, again, keep in mind, this message is Mark's audience is the Romans, the Roman believers in Rome. Now, we learn from it. People learn about it from, throughout the centuries. Other churches would have obviously, because there's copies of it that have been handed out among the churches. But the original, just like the book of Colossians was written to the audience, was the Colossians. The book of Thessalonica, the first and second, were written to the people of Thessalonica. This was probably a gospel written for the Romans. And so there's going to be some things that are special that to the Romans, they'd like, ah, they'd take note of it. And that is happening, that's happening already right here. The word gospel. Forget, we, it, we as, as Christians, we've got, it's a, it's a literary form, the gospel. It's a gospel is the story of Jesus, the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, gospel of John. Uh, we use, it's, it's a term we use. But originally, look at point two on page one. Uh, you can see it's, in the, I've got the Greek it's right there in the Greek. You can see the RK, which for the beginning, ta of the euogaleo is, again, o, the OU makes it possessive. And then Yesu, possessive. Christu, possessive, meaning th that all goes together. It belongs to Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's his, his gospel. And then also Son of God. So those words all have the ending of the possession on, in, the, in the Greek. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it was originally not a Christian term, but a term that was significant in both the pagan and the Jewish world. To the Romans, gospel, or evangel is what we may say, meant joyful tidings. Now again, more on a very technical, serious note, not just joyful tidings like, you know, the laundry's done. Uh, but it had to do with the emperor, and here's a classic example. It was joyful tidings that were associated with the Roman emperor or Roman emperor worship. We're going to go particularly to Octavian or August Augustus. He was, he was Octavian before he became emperor, and they called him the August the Augustus one. Uh, so a Roman emperor who they celebrated on his birth. His birthday was always celebrated with festivals or his ascension to power. And a message would be sent out and the whole, the whole world rejoiced, the Roman world. It was a day of celebration because they're honoring their emperor. Now, when we talk about God, we have an ideal of God who is immortal, he's omnipotent, he's you know outside of time. They would have, their, their gods were coming down a little lower, a little closer, and he was just kind of like the ruler. He controlled, 
things. And so their ideal of God, it, it kind of became less, you know, not as gra- uh, grandiose as we may have as a God. So when they talk about God, they are giving him deity, but, the, the, but the, uh, even the Senate could confer deity on someone. You know, like if, if someone would die, like when Titus died or Vespasian died, they could grant him deity. And, and it's like, like he's in the heavens. So there's a lot of gods, a lot of rulers. It goes back to the idea of rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Nonetheless, they recognize Augustus or Octavian as a god. Nonetheless, this would, uh, would have been a message that would be sent out on papyrus. Uh, and I wrote a papyri from 9 B.C. was found, and that's incorrect. It wasn't an, a papyrus. It was, a, it was an inscription. In fact, I got a picture of it here for you. And this is amazing. This is flat-out amazing. In nine, from 9 B.C., probably like five years before Jesus was born, in Asia Minor, in the western part, over by Ephesus, Colossae, in that area, uh, it, it says of Octavian, or Augustus Creaser, look at this, see, I did... I, I, yeah, that's spelled wrong there. Uh, quote, it says on there, and here's, here's this inscription right here. We'll take a p- look at this picture, but you can see on this picture on page 7, it's kind of in bold right there. It's, it's, a, it's a, a Greek inscription right there. So it's, it's, a, so it's a calendar. It's got a whole lot of information on it. But there is a line in there that says this. The birthday of the God was for the world the beginning of joyful tidings which have been proclaimed on his account. And that is known as the inscription Prien. And you can look that up. And here it is right here. Uh, I'm looking at... Uh, uh, what do I, well, I'm trying to see where I want to read here. Yeah, it's right here at the bottom of this section right here. It says, uh, They acknowledged Augustus as son of God whose birth marks the beginning of good tidings, or there's your word, evangelion right there in in the greek for the world it was cut or carved or cut in the inscribed in 9 bc and on the back page is another copy of the same thing or not the same thing but the same uh inscription they translate it this way um the providence i'm gonna read a little more the providence which was ordered the whole of our life was ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving to it caesar augustus meaning the providence gave them caesar augustus uh, by sending in him as it were a savior for us and those who come after us to make war to cease to create order everywhere the birthday of the god augustus was the here it is please line was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by him now i'm I'm not making fun of that i'm not mocking that i'm just saying that that was that was written before jesus was even born it was the beginning of the gospel of augustus who came to change history and from that point on everything was going to pivot on augustus and he was going to send them into a new age and that right there, I'll read it, read it again. The beginning of the gospel for the world that came by him. There was a world before Augustus, and then there was a world that was formed by the coming of Augustus. And now it is, this is the beginning of the good news, the glad tidings. Augustus is here, and your worries are over because the world before him has changed. It is a new world. 
Now that was a Roman inscription from 9 B.C. And now I read in, this is written 64 A.D. And so this is in the same time period, the same culture, the same words that said the book of Mark begins writing in Rome, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All he's doing is taking the the whole framework for which the Romans have and saying it's not the emperor, it's Jesus. And Jesus, they're going to add to his name here, and his, his first name is not Jesus, last name Christ. He is the man Jesus who was the Christ the anointed one of God, the one Isaiah said was going to come in fulfillment to all the prophecies. This is Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Son of God, and this is the beginning of the gospel of Him. Now, do not read, you, you do your own thinking, but do not read this. This is the beginning of the book of Mark that's walk, talking about Jesus. This is, the begin, this is chapter 1, page 1, the first word, the beginning of the book. That's not what it's saying. It's saying this is the beginning of the age, the good news, the glad tidings of when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, entered history and from this point on, nothing has been the same. Now, I know our lives today is Monday. Life just goes on and on. Everything's the same. But in the, in the, in the view of all of eternity, in the view of human history, there was a time from the fall of man, and we're waiting and waiting and talking about it, the son of David, the, the seed of Abraham, all the way up through the prophets, and they're waiting, and all of a sudden, Isaiah says, there will be a voice in the wilderness, and he will make straight the way for the Lord. Now, here it is, Mark saying, and it happened. The beginning of the glad tidings, again, the glad tidings is the announcement that he is here and everything now has pivoted into his world. And that is exactly what takes place with the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's like, is this true? Is this right? I mean, for example, we date human history B.C. 80. Now, our modern secular culture has tried to change that uh, uh, B.C.E., before the common era, I still, in all my books, I'm still writing B.C. It's like, I get, uh, we, we now say B.C.E. No, I don't. I say before Christ. You're a pagan in a postmodern culture. You say before the common era. But that common era is common because of the coming of Jesus Christ. You can't change history. We change the dating of history because of his life. So if uh, you have to go to a history class to find out about Augustus Caesar, but you can't even date your years without admitting that this was true right here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the beginning of his term. It was the beginning of his reign. It was the beginning of the point that he transformed history and everything is now following. Now we're waiting for the full coming of the Christ and the full events. That's what it is. The glad tidings. The glad tidings is gospel. That's another way of saying gospel or the good news. But this good news is a technical term for the reign of an emperor that's going to change your life. He's going to end war. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring prosperity. There, you know your life before the emperor, but now you're going to know your life after the emperor has came. That is the gospel, the proclamation about Augustus. This is now the proclamation about 
Jesus, he was a man, Jesus, who was the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. And this is the beginning, not of the book, but the beginning of this period in history. And so you can just see how even at the beginning of this book, and again, that's kind of why we spent some time going over three weeks of the foundation or the, the introduction, that this book was written in Rome for the Romans. And I, well, it's like that's, we can study that out and we made some proofs and some textual evidence of that. But look how the book begins. Exactly like was written in 9 BC on an inscription that you can go see, in, I think it's in the Berlin Museum. The gospel begins the exact same way. And he, that's not him coming up with a new genre of writing, the gospels. He's picking up right here the good news about Augustus and his time period. This is the beginning of the good news of the coming of the age of Jesus Christ. Now, he ties that right in in verse 2. Ties that right into the prophets. Now, this is a little confusing uh, if you pay attention because now he says right here, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, what's confusing about that is if you're paying attention, what does, what's that first part of that verse? Now, indeed, we end with Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, I think it is. But what's the first part? The first sentence is what? That's right out of Malachi chapter 3. That, that Malachi says, before the great and dreadful day, I will send my messenger ahead of you. So this shouldn't be, unless Mark is confused, this shouldn't say, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. It should say, it is written in the prophets, uh, Malachi, uh, not, yeah, Malachi and uh, Isaiah. And then he quotes both of them. But instead, he says, this is what is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes a line out of Malachi and then moves into Isaiah. Now, I, I don't know the reason. I don't know why. But there is a, uh, a great New Testament scholar that... Uh, did this translation Let's go to page two and i just thought it was interesting the way he wrote his translation i had i didn't have there's no notes on why he did it that i could see but you can see on point one on page two uh, i'll read it right there one translator put malachi's words in parentheses before isaiah's actual words so it reads like this isaiah the prophet put it like this now parentheses now he's going to quote malachi Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of me. He will clear the way for you. And parentheses. And now here's Isaiah's quote. A shout goes up in the desert. Make way for the Lord. Clear a straight path for him. Giving the impression that what you've got there is this is what Isaiah the prophet says. A quote. Now, he said, I will send a messenger. And then... Then he quotes Isaiah. In other words, this is what Isaiah said. Now, and then he quotes Malachi kind of saying, this is exactly what we're talking about. Almost like a, a clarification so you don't miss this. He's clarifying it with Malachi's verse in parentheses. Now, again, there's no parentheses. There's not even any punctuation in the Greek. So it's like we're applying that. We, sometimes we don't even know. If you go to the uncials, the uncials were the, the oldest papyri written. They were all written in capital letters, and they, there weren't even any spaces between the words. They're just letters after letters. So you're like doing a word. When you're translating, you're doing like a word puzzle. Here's a word. Wait, wait, wait. I could put these two letters there, make a different word, change the whole meaning of the context. So it's like you've got to. Then they went to the minuscule, a more a faster cursive way. That's where we started writing in where we, when we have a, 
a Greek uh, text, we're looking at the small, minuscule letters. And now that's broken down in words. Uh, they've already been divided. So what's nice, you've got the unsealed, some of the an- most ancient ones, and there's just row after row of capital letters. In fact, you, when you end the word, you run out of space in the column, you just keep the word going down here. So sometimes you, you got it's a really a word puzzle. Then you get the minuscules. Now you've got the, the scholars, the scribes, who went from un- unsealed to the minuscules to... Uh, actually breaking the words down, which is kind of nice because now they're actually the ones breaking the words apart, if that makes sense to you. Um, so those parentheses aren't in, in the Greek text, but again, Isaiah the prophet put it like this, a shout goes up in the desert, make way for the Lord, clear a straight path for him. But before he reads that or writes that, he adds a little bit from Malachi, and I've got that written right there. Malachi 3.1 says from the English Standard Version, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so right there, Isaiah is saying, I'm going to send my messenger. But Malachi says, even even God says in the Old Testament, I'm going to send a messenger ahead of me before I come to make my way so that this is what it's going to look like. So it's almost like this is like a preface for this verse in Isaiah, if that makes sense. Again, I I think that it's pretty interesting because he clearly takes a Malachi. he, He says, I'm quoting Isaiah. Then he quotes Malachi, which leads into the Isaiah quote. And I don't know, I just think, and there's a lot of interesting things in Mark, uh, but it would seem like he would say something like the prophets say. And just, if you're not going to say, if you're just going to say Isaiah, and you're going to quote Malachi, I may just say prophets. I mean, I'm I'm correcting Mark's writing. This Mark maybe want to clear it up a little bit. Um, as a shop teacher, I feel like maybe you should uh, clean that up. So I think there's got to be a reason he's got Malachi there, and I like what. Uh, uh, N.T. Wright is the one who did that translation. He's got it in parentheses, kind of like he's still quoting Isaiah, but before he gets to Isaiah, he kind of has an explanation of why, why is God sending him? Because I'm sent, I told you I'm sending my messenger ahead of me to prepare the way. And when he does come, a uh, shout is going to go up in the desert. You're going to hear someone shouting in the desert, and he's going to be saying, make way for the Lord, clear a straight path for him, because the Lord is coming. So in the beginning of Mark, it is very clear that, as we're, we're going to introduce John the Baptist here in just a moment, in the next verse, but what John's message is, is the Lord is coming. Now, again, we know, uh, what were they thinking? I mean, what, what, you know, there's, this, there's this, this tension between receiving God's word and you having the accurate word of God but then you fill in all the gaps of what does that word mean. John knows he's preparing the way for the Lord. He knows the Lord is coming. Uh, but how? Is he coming like out of heaven? Is he you know, coming from the palace? Is he coming with a military? Is he coming like through some foreign invasion like Cyrus came and was the deliverer? How's he coming? I, I don't know. He's coming and I'm the voice crying. Then all of a sudden, he sees Jesus and he's baptizing these people. And he was told, as we read in the other Gospels, that the one on whom he baptized and the, he sees the Spirit come down, that's him. So you almost want to think, possibly, without getting too creative. It wasn't like John knew. I'll, I'll, I'll show you later. It's like, I don't know who it is. I just know he's coming. 
And you can see later on in John's ministry, in, as Jesus went into Galilee and started healing and sitting on the sides of mountains and teaching large groups of people, uh, that John is in prison. He's arrested in the wilderness. He's arrested by, by Herod and put in prison on the other side of the Jordan, one of the, uh, the fortresses. And he sends some of his disciples to go all the way up to Galilee. It would be across on the east side of the Dead Sea. Sends them all the way up to Galilee to ask Jesus later on. Now, this just rocks your mind. It's like the one we're going to read about here who's making these bold proclamations. So he's got in mind what this guy is going to do when he gets here, just like I do. I know when Jesus, I, I have an idea of what, what's going to happen. So did John, because he's got the word of God. But when he gets arrested and put in prison and Jesus goes up to Galilee and just starts hanging out up there teaching and healing people and John sends some of his disciples up and says, we're supposed to ask you, Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? And, and Jesus says, tell John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Because John, when he says the Lord is coming, now he's speaking the word of God, but in his mind, He's got an idea of if I was God, this is what it would look like. When I preach, this is what God's like. And so uh, if I'm going to take this and this is what I would do if I was God, and these are the words. Well, John's in the same thing to the point that when Jesus goes up to Galilee after he's baptized and John gets arrested, it's like, uh, are you coming for me? I mean, when are you going to get the swords out? I mean, when are you going to overthrow the Romans? When are you going to get rid of this, this family of Herods and set up your kingdom? Jesus, well, you go tell John, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And how would you be offended by Jesus? Well, you're not doing what I thought you were going to do. Here's what I thought you were going to do, and I will follow Jesus. But when Jesus starts doing something that I don't agree, that's not what I want to do. Now it offends me, and you draw away. Jesus just tells him, you go back and tell him. Don't, don't be offended. I, and you tell him what you see. Tell him the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, Blind eyes are being opened. The captives are being set free. And don't be offended. It, it, meaning, this is all exactly what it's supposed to be. It's just not what you thought it was going to be. And that's so much of when you have God's revelation, then you take your human mind and start filling in all the blanks, you get a completely different picture than what you thought God was going to do. And then you get offended. And you walk away. And God says, no, no, you're walking away from your presupposition of what you thought was going to happen. You're not offended by me because I said very clearly what I was going to do. So anyway, th that's interesting taking place right here as we look ahead to John because John's a great character right here, but he's going to have a moment of doubt or some questioning. Um, but he's human, just like we are, are human. He was anointed to be a prophet. Uh, let's go back and go to, uh, well... I've got Isaiah 40. Let's go to Isaiah 40. We're going to come back to Mark, I hope. That's what we're teaching. Isaiah 40. This is the verse uh, that uh, Mark uses. And it's, a, it's the verse that John, when they come and ask him, because while John's out there by the Jordan River baptizing, the religious leaders come out also and they ask him, who are you? And, and he calls them snakes and vipers and he was all full of insults and con, con, you know, condescending terms as he called the religious leaders. Um, 
And they says, who are you? Are you the one? Are you the prophet? And the prophet would be uh, the one that Moses says, there'll be a prophet arise after me, like me, that you must follow. And in other words, even Moses prepped the way that I've given you this law, but there's one coming later that's going to give you something greater. You must go with him. Now, you can't just follow anyone, but there is someone that's going to come that's going to take you to the next level, kind of what Moses, the prophet's going to come. So they're always waiting for not just Isaiah or Jeremiah who are prophets, but they're looking for the prophet. So they go out and they ask John, the religious leaders, and it wasn't necessarily that they were actually inquiring as much as they were trying to find, maybe trap him, like they tried to trap Jesus. You know, you just got the conversation. The very fact that John calls them, you know, a, a den of vipers and, and, and insults them means he didn't really trust them. And that it wasn't an, an actually an honest question. But they asked him, are you the one? Are you the prophet? And he says, no. And that's what he's going to say here. There's one coming after me that's greater. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes or take his shoes on or off. This, this, he's from eternity. He, he was before me. I came before him, but he was before me. In other words, John comes first on. He's the forerunner. He's the one that prepares the way for the Lord. And so John was first. No, he says, I came before, I was first but he was before me, meaning John's even recognizing Jesus' eternity in the sky. But anyway, he calls himself, I'm nothing more than a voice crying out in the wilderness. So he knows where he's at right here. So he, he, I'm not by any means saying John was a fool or John didn't know what he was talking about. I think he knows exactly what he's talking about. But like all of us, we, have, we, we try and build it together. Here we go, chapter 40, verse 1 of Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says, the, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now this would be something we're going to be talking about prophecy because they are yet to face the Assyrian invasion, which Jerusalem will be delivered from, not Judea, but Jerusalem will be. And then a hundred years later, they're going to face the Babylonian invasion invasion occupation and eventually deportation so this is talking about a day in the future verse three because she's paid double for her sins meaning probably the babylonian captivity now she's been sent back a voice of one calling in the desert a voice excuse me a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the lord and that all capital letters so that prepare the way for yahweh so when you call jesus that he was the one that john was talking about that isaiah was talking about you're saying jesus is yahweh right here it is right here the way for yahweh and that's that's what mark's saying there jesus is yahweh jesus is god a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for yahweh make straight in the wilderness a highway for our god Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, meaning it's going to be made flat. This is exactly what they do if the emperor was touring his land. He'd be going on a journey, like a two-year journey or several months. He'd take a, and go, they'd prepare roads, they'd make roads, they'd prepare ways for him, so he would have a very easy, smooth journey. And that's what they're doing right here. They're preparing the way for the emperor so he can visit his lands. Uh, 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 make straight in the wilderness a highway for our god every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low and rough ground shall become leveled and the rugged places a plain and the glory of the lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that idea of, of the glory of the Lord will be revealed. That's Jesus Christ revealing the glory of God and all mankind. Not just Israel, but Isaiah is heavy with the idea that this is for the whole world. And he was, Isaiah talks about reaching the Gentiles. So Israel a lot of times took it down to just, it's just us and all the dogs are the Gentiles. Well, throughout, from the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, through Israel or through Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Not, not by Abraham, but through Abraham. And here, the Lord is coming, the voice is going to be said, but it's going to be proclaimed to all the world. And so that's what, what is being said right here. That is what is being referred to there in Mark. I'm going to go back to Mark and see if we can get through uh, some more. We're at 48, so here we go. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Meaning this is the beginning of the new age the glad tidings about the emperor, Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It was written about him by the prophets. The prophets wrote by Isaiah particularly. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare a way for you. Thus, Isaiah says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord or Yahweh. Make straight paths for him. So that's the Roman proclamation, and that's the Jewish scripture saying. So you've got two worlds right here. You've got the Gentile proclamation. You've got the Jewish scriptures, and they're all coming. He's got that right there in the prologue. Roman and Jews, pay attention. And so John came, because this was written, John claim, came, baptizing in the desert region. That is the word wilderness. You can check your Greek right here. And preaching a baptism, a dipping, a washing, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in other words he's out there preaching you have all gone the wrong way you need to come back to the jordan river where we originally crossed into the land and be baptized wash away your sins a new start confess your sins and come up and get ready because we're making a straight path for the lord and i mean you can hear in just in talking about this you can hear a militant idea here of a straight path the emperor's coming he's they're talking about confronting the Roman world. They're talking about confronting the Gentile world. And Jesus is coming to confront sin. He's coming to confront Satan. And that's where the first battle takes place, is the Spirit comes on Jesus and takes him where? Right to Rome. Right to the courthouses of the Senate of Rome, where he turns over tables and confronts the leaders. Of, no, he takes him right deeper into the wilderness where he confronts who? satan he comes to confront satan not the the romans are not a problem in fact the lord is using the romans at this time in history it's like they're part of the plan just like you look at our government today relax god is using our government today you may not like it you may not understand it come lord jesus i did i came through the biden administration it's like what what was that it's like ah he's in control that's not what i had in mind uh but god is in control and so when he comes out, he comes into the story. Where does G, uh, the Lord, the Spirit, lead Jesus? Right out to Satan. Okay, and so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the idea there is the people are coming out, turning back. The idea of repentance, I've got it written down. Repentance, the, the Greek word means to change your mind. You think this way about something, and now you get new information. And you change, oh, okay, I was wrong, and you change your mind. It's a turning. You're going this way, and now you turn and go this way. And so John is having them come out, and he's preaching to them. You're on the wrong track. You're going the wrong way. They recognize it, 
and they change their mind and they turn and they repent and they confess their sins. I whatever they whatever their false thinking was, you can say it begins with the thoughts. You can say, well, they confessed all of these sins, and he didn't change the way you thought, so he went right back and did those sins again. It's it's not the the actions, although that's a problem. The actions are coming from your thoughts. You've got to change your mind. You're thinking this way, so these things are what you're doing. You need to see this truth. Oh my gosh, I'm changing the way I think. I'm no longer going to do these things because I see this, and I'm turning here. And they were baptized, came up out of the water, not saying, okay, you're ready, but now you're re- ready for, to re-engage the battle. You're ready now for the Lord. You've now said, I was wrong. I want to do what's right. I want to come back, cross the Jordan again, just like we came to land many years ago. We're going to now do it right, but we're going to wait for the Lord because he's going to baptize us with his spirit. That's what John is going to say here. And when that takes place, now my whole nature, had not just my thinking, but now I've got the new life. My whole nature has been changed. Uh, so that repentance is that, that word. I can look in my notes and show it to you. You can find it. The whole Judean countryside, that would be the land of Judea. If you look on the maps, you can see that was the, the land going from southern Samaria all the way down south. And Jerusalem, so that's a long ways, and a lot of people went out to him and confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, which meant that was a sign of turning. Whenever they came into uh, the temple, they would have to be washed. Outside on the south side, uh, right here, right here, these steps right here. All along here are mikvahs. Uh, there's a, a, pool, a mikvah in the south, the Pool of Siloam. There's a mikvah right up here, the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, you can't wait to get the new Jerusalem book. I got some great pictures of the, the actual mikvah of uh, Bethesda. Now, I'll talk about that later. Uh, at some point because i got some good pictures of the steps going down to the mega but they would have to wash dip in there and wash before they're cleansed and ready to go into into the temple so anytime they would dip it was a time of of saying i'm wrong i need to be prepared there's something wrong with me i need to be prepared to go to the lord and then comes the day of pentecost and they use those same mikvahs because everybody came to christ and now they were baptized it says which oh they began baptizing no they're being dipped in the mikvahs they're still doing ritual wash, but they're not doing ritual washing to enter the temple they're doing ritual washing in the name of jesus they're now they're now making allegiance to the messiah jesus and that's what was taking place here they weren't being dipped so they could go into the temple they're being dipped or put in water to prepare themselves for this next phase of what was coming now uh it goes on it says confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the jordan john wore clothing made of camel's hair with leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey the idea right there is he is in the wilderness and he's wearing the garments of elijah he is dressed like a prophet in the wilderness some of the prophets jeremiah moved in the courthouse uh of the temple courts uh, excuse me the royal courts isaiah was definitely right next to hezekiah the king they worked in the royal courts daniel worked in the court of nebuchadnezzar but this one he's wearing the clothes of elijah he's in the wilderness he's calling for repentance he's judging a nation and saying the lord is coming and so he is in a sense and jesus is talking about he's going to say he was the greatest of all the prophets and the idea is the prophets talked about repenting 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 
they talked, well, you can go back to the verse, we went through the minor prophets. They talked about when you were in the wilderness, you were obedient. You followed the Lord through the wilderness for 40 years, and when he was ready, he brought you across, and you followed and you took the land. But since then, you've deteriorated. Do you remember the days when you were obedient in the wilderness? Well, they said, you need to go back. You need to repent. Well, John is now there just standing out there waiting for him. He's, in a sense, fulfilling all the prophets have said. Come out here, repent, let's get this right, and we're going to come into the land a second time, this time, with the Lord, with baptism by the Spirit. And so that's, that's kind of, he's like fulfilling all the prophets is condensed right down to him. And this was his message. And here's his message. Because really, his message is supposed to be proclaim the coming of the Lord. And here was his message. Now, these are the things he was preaching, baptism, confessing their sins, uh, eating locusts, wearing camel, or, yeah, camel clothes, camel hair. But here's his message. After me will come one more powerful than I. The thongs, that's a tough word, thong, that's kind of a strange word now as vocabulary changes, but whose shoestrings, we could say, or leather straps, of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I am nothing but a messenger. There's someone greater coming. It's not me. I'm just telling you, get ready. Something big is going to happen. I'm not worthy to untie. Verse, and here it is. I baptize you with water. And that water was indeed a real baptism. It was a baptism of repentance, meaning you're turning, you're changing your mind, you're changing your ways, you're turning and getting ready. Now you are set and ready. What are you ready for? You're ready for, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John can do nothing but have you admit, I am wrong, I'm thinking wrong, I'm acting wrong, I need to come back and we want to try this again. Okay, you're ready. Now we wait because I can't do any more than have you admit you need help. We're waiting for the Lord and now when he comes, he'll baptize you with the Spirit. Like I said before, that's not just a novelty, that's not just the talk. That that means your whole spirit, your whole being is going to be transformed into fellowship with God himself. And now we're ready for, again, that age that we're beginning, the age of Jesus Christ, where you've got people that are baptized by the Spirit. So John is getting things ready. Now, I'll read the next verse, and then we'll, we'll quit, and we'll pick this up next week. At that time, in the middle of that situation, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, you would think that if the Lord is there, John could go to Nazareth and baptize him. But instead, the Lord leaves Nazareth in Galilee, goes all the way down, probably went through Jerusalem. Doesn't say he did. But he goes out and is baptized. And again, you're going to get more details of this, these events. You're going to get a day-by-day breakdown, about an eight-day, ten-day breakdown in the book of John. Because John is going to go back and say on the first day, the second day, the third day. And John and, and Peter and James are hanging out with John the Baptist already. Now, this is, this is confusing when you start just reading it. Jesus in, in, the, in Matthew and Luke just walks up and, and says to Peter and James and John, uh, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's like, and they're like in some zombies there, yes, master, and they walked off. Well, if you read the whole Gospels, put it in perspective, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were already out in the wilderness with John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist is going to introduce Jesus to John and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John leaves, John the Apostle leaves John the Baptist and starts following Jesus. So John is introduced to Jesus 
by John the Baptist because John and Peter, James, they're all following him. So they're going back and forth from this little revival, whatever repentance, to fishing, going back and forth. And then Jesus shows up, and you know the whole story. They're like, well, who is he? They're trying to figure out who he is. Uh, so that just adds a little more color to the idea that they're not just out fishing one day and this cult leader walks along the Sea of Galilee. You, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Yes, master. And they went off blindly. They didn't even blindly follow Christ. They were introduced to him by John the Baptist. So that just adds a little more in-depth to that because there's, there's a lot of personalities going on here. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, interesting, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. That's the anointing. Messiah means the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word from Christos, is the Greek word for the word Messiah in the Hebrew, which we get our word Christ, means the anointed, very right here, he's the anointed one. The Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, very important in the book of Mark, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once, now watch this, at once the Spirit is going to lead him into his ministry, lead him into battle. And where does he go? At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, not to Jerusalem, not to Rome, not to the ministry, but to the heart of the battle, to the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. So notice right there, in the wilderness, there's Satan, there's the wild animals, and notice that's where the angels are active. They were attending him there. And the one I said before, and we'll talk about next week, the fact that wild animals is mentioned here in Mark would probably give, uh, is because at this time in Rome, the Christians are being put into the, uh, the, the Colosseum and fed to wild animals, dressed up like you know, animal clothing and being fed to the beast for entertainment to the Romans. And so that might be, someone say that's why that's in there, that he was with the wild animals, he was tempted by Satan, but also in the wilderness with wild animals, being tempted by Satan, angels ministered to him, and he overcame. And the idea there would be you too can hold on to your faith in the midst of a temptation, in the midst of wild animals. Again, that's kind of maybe possibly using there there because in 64 AD, Nero's persecution was full throttle and it already executed Peter who was the source of this information for Mark in many cases. Um, I'll pray and we'll pick this up next week. Father, I do thank you again for the chance to look into your word. We ask that we would use it in our own lives to improve our thoughts change our thoughts and turn towards you to live a life that is pleasing to you that we'd walk above the ways of this world and be able to say ourselves that we have followed you and we have overcome this age father we do again thank you for your word we thank you for your spirit and ask that we may bring to fulfillment your plans for our lives in jesus name amen thank you for your time